Hello and a very merry welcome to the NMA Christmas podcast. Yes, that's right, Pod Resgy Merry Gentlemen is back for another year with our veteran commentator on annual news roundups and everything else. It's Tom Selby from AJ Bell. Hello, Tom, how are you? Uh, good, veteran. veteran. Thanks very much, mate. Yeah, you've, you've, you've made that now. Good. You, you, you've you've how, achieved how, that. What do you have to do to get to guru? Uh, become a bit more spiritual. That's fair. I yeah, would okay. say. <laughs> and we're also joined by reporters James Fitzgerald and Laura Perkis. Hello to you both. Good afternoon. Hello. Um, uh, they're making their podcast debut today, so bonjour to you Ooh. both. Um, so you're all here to digest the year that was with me and discuss our favourite news stories. But before we do that, it's time to do the big fat quiz of the year. It's 12 questions, one from each month to look back on the goings on in 2019. It's dead simple. It's a head-to-head. First to get the answer gets the point. There's a T for Tom. There's a J for James and an L for Laura on my sheet. Question one in January do you remember the Golden Globes that took oh place in January? Long time ago. Which British actress and national treasure swore at the audience in her acceptance speech for Best Actress? Helen Mirren. Incorrect. Livia Common. Correct. Oh, oh, played. James, one point. Very good. Yes, she got Best Actress Award for The Favourite. She did. A film about opulence and extravagance in the 18th century, I'm going to say. Mm. Question two, February, we learned that an incentive was being offered to Hungarian women to have four children or more. But what was the incentive? Was it A, the Order of Merit Medal, B, free children's clothes, or C, a lifetime's exemption from income tax? I'll let someone else go first, because I went first last time. Come on, Tom, you can still go first. I would hope it's C. It is. I'm going to give you a point it for that. It is A lifetime's exemption from income Excellent. tax. Hung- Hungary obviously joins many countries that have tried weird and wonderful ways to make people have more kids. <laughs> uh, question three, March. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro visited President Trump at the White House and gave him what gift? Think about what Brazil is famous for and good at. A, a football. Close. Football shirt. Correct. Another point. Well, one point to Tom. Yeah. Tom's now in the game. Three all. Uh, it was indeed a uh, Brazil football jersey with the word Trump emblazoned on the back. And speaking of emblazoned, question four. What caught fire in April? Ooh. I was thinking you were going to get this straight away. Massive fire. It's a Grenfell Tower. That no, that was long ago, wasn't it? It was 2017, James. what? It was 2017, surely not. There can't be that many fires, can there? Come on. How did you catch fire? Start with France. Oh, gosh, the, the what do you call it? Notre Dame. Correct. Oh, of course. Notre Dame Cathedral uh, tragically caught fire. Um, President Emmanuel Macron promised that the cathedral would be rebuilt in five years, a pledge that saw millions of dollars of donations pour in from around the world and criticism from environmental campaigners who noticed that no one had pledged as much money to save the environment. Uh, question five. In May, Ukrainian comedian Vladimir Zelensky... Oh, this is my specialist subject. ...as <laughs> president. Well, we've already had one comedian yep. president question. Uh, so at his swearing-in ceremony, he declared that the country must become, in his own words, I must add, Israelis in defending our native land, Japanese in technology, and what in football? I'll give you a choice of three. Germans, Icelanders, or English? I mean, nobody wants to be English in football, it's surely Germans. It's actually incorrect. It's Icelanders. So no one's going to get a point there. Uh, The context of that was that he uh, he wanted everyone in the country to come together 
Uh, and yeah, and, and to do the, the overhand. So that doesn't work on podcasts, does it? The overhand, <laughs> the slow clap. <laughs> I'll just to describe for listeners, Tom is doing the clap. What's it called? <laughs> There's a name for it. Yeah, I can't remember. No. Anyway, moving on. Uh, he also urged them to become Swiss-like in their ability to live happily with each other. June, question six. Trump, again, wrote a letter to Kim Jong-un about diplomatic relations between two countries. How did the North Korean leader describe the note? Beautiful, excellent, or smart? Beautiful. Smart. James, by process of deduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this, last time we did this quiz, I'm sure the vast majority of correct answers were done by a process of people just getting them wrong. I that thought you were doing right, yeah. well at first on avoiding that outcome. Would you like to answer James or should we just move on? Let's just move on. Let's just move <laughs> on. I'll, just, I'll take the point, but yeah. let's move on. <laughs> fine, 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 fine. Uh, in July, 15-year-old Alex Mann becomes an internet sensation after doing what? July is festival season. He wrapped. He wrapped. Correct. He wrapped someone oh, with at Glastonbury. Glasto, yeah, yeah. Can the anyone name if I the song? Oh. Yes, to Silver. Correct. Something. I'll give you the point for yeah. that. So he got up on stage with the rapper Dave to perform yeah. uh, Thiago Silver uh, in front of thousands of people. I watched that video again yesterday, and I have to say. It's another thing, like, it's one thing doing that song in the shower, because you like it, and then <laughs> getting up on stage in front of, like, 20,000 people and rapping it. That's quite impressive. That's quality. I mean, maybe he was given some, like, extra... Help. You know. <laughs> well, I was going to say, he would have had a rather big day all weekend, so <laughs> kept him going. I think there were some conspiracy theories around it as well, weren't there, when he came up, that some people suggested he'd been, like, planted. Would well, it look a bit convenient, didn't it? Yeah. But, but I mean, this is the, the world we live planted. in, though, isn't so it now? Skeptical. You can see the look in his eyes, and he's absolutely yeah. incredulous. <laughs> That's the look in his eyes, it? incredulous. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> incredulous and intoxicated. Uh, question eight. Who took England from misery to glory in August? Ben Stokes. Correct, Tom. Very mm. good. Do you know the score? Uh, what, what did he achieve? What did uh, he get? 135. Correct. I'm going to give you a bonus point for that. <laughs> uh, he did indeed uh, a, a miserable England game. I, I was there. Rescue. Were you there? I was there, yeah. What was that like? It was very, very good. It was... <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it was. Yeah. And when the I heard the Australian accent as I came into the podcast, I thought, I'm going to really, really enjoy this today. I was going to say, I did put that question in for you, I'm James. adding that to my notes. Don't you worry. Yeah, okay. I mean, if yeah, if if only England hadn't lost the Ashes in the process of the whole thing, but even so, well, yes, technically retained, but you know, <laughs> tro trophies currently sitting at the MCC in Melbourne. Yeah, so that's okay. yeah, yeah. I anticipate you may beat me up behind the bike shed for that <laughs> question. Uh, question nine: Who is Lady Hale, and why did she become famous in September? She, she, said that Boris did the wrong thing by closing Parliament. Correct. I'm going to give you a point for that, Laura. Yes. She is the President of the UK Supreme Court. The uh, spider brooch was a nice yeah. touch as well. Say again? The spider brooch was a nice touch yeah, as well. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's everywhere Absolutely. now, isn't it? It's on people's, people's Twitter handles, little spider. Yeah. Gavin Williamson, who it. owns a tarantula yeah. called Cronus, was dismayed. Yeah. That's normal. Tried yeah. to make it really popular. Cronus, it's a very strong name. I know. <laughs> <Sinister>. <laughs> also scary. Sinister. Less said about that, the better. Uh, she did indeed rule that Boris Johnson's suspension of Parliament was unlawful, much to the chagrin of Brexiteers far, far and wide. 10. October. US talk show host and comedian Ellen DeGeneres courted criticism when she had a fun day out watching the NFL with which former US president? There's really only one answer here. Iraq. No. Hmm? Or oh, is it George Bush? Correct. Mm -hmm. The former. James. 
turnover, get my points back. Uh, indeed, they went to see the Dallas Cowboys lose to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, and that prompted uh, civil rights campaigners to criticise her for cozying up to someone who had voted against a gay marriage in office. 11. A metal ball caused embarrassment for which entrepreneur last month? Uh, Elon Musk. Correct. Oh, yeah. uh, James. very Back to the Future DeLorean-esque metal car or tin box, as I called it. <laughs> um, his unbreakable windows turned yeah. out to uh, be quite breakable. Um it was pathetic. Mm. It did look the car looked a little bit. We said like the the Homer Simpson car. Oh, uh, oh that's yes. brilliant! Yeah, uh, I've not seen this. It was you watch it. It's the yeah. most embarrassing like uh, product pitch video you've ever seen in your life. It's a bit grim, isn't it? Yeah. It's more embarrassing than that video of Mi the Microsoft guys in the nineties dancing <laughs> on the stage to celebrate like the launch of Windows ninety eight. Uh, final question: December, the election campaign, which we'll try and avoid discussing. I think we got bogged down in politics last year, didn't we, Tom? We'll try and avoid that this year. Oh, I can't remember, <laughs> did we? Oh, we probably did, didn't we? We did yeah. a bit. Uh, why did Coca-Cola intervene in the election campaign this month? Ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -bum -bum. No one knows. That's really interesting. Can I give you a clue? Think about trucks. Didn't one... Oh, I can't remember who it was. Was the Brexit Party or the Conservatives? One of the, the two... Use the truck as some form of, um, I don't know, what political ploy. I can't give you the point for that. That's okay. Because <laughs> it was actually Labour. Labour, oh. Yes. Uh, Momentum, the Labour backing uh, lobbying group, campaign group, whatever you want to call them, they received a warning of intellectual property for using Jeremy Corbyn's face on a doctored version of the company's famous uh, holidays are coming up. Of course, it must be the white beard. Indeed, mm. our Lord JC. Uh, excellent. <laughs> so after that great performance from all the teams, I can announce that Laura is the winner yes. with an astonishing four points. Laura, I have this Christmassy bottle Aww. of beer given a to beer me by James ribbon. several months Thank ago. You. What does it say on it? Uh, what kind of beer is, is it? It is a cam Camber Hopler dry hop lager. Well, nothing says Christmas like that, <laughs> don't <you>? No, no. <laughs> how, speaking of which, Tom, how is your brewery going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm no longer. I'm no longer a member. Of, Have you been uh, ousted? From the board? I, I haven't been ousted. No, I ousted myself. Okay. Um, so it was. I was. I was very much enjoying it, um, but it became increasingly an, an increasingly serious pursuit to the point where large amounts of my week and weekends were being taken okay. up by. And also, bre bre uh, lots of brewing is fun. Um, you may want to cut this out of the podcast if I start rambling about brewing. Um, so <laughs> lots of brewing is fun, but a lot of the actual practical process of brewing, especially when you're doing it week after week after week, is mm. just quite quite laborious and quite mm. hard work. It takes all day to do. Yeah. Um, but the, ma and the main reason, that, apart from that, was that they're moving, they're looking to move the brewery up to the north, so oh. back where, back to close to Kendall, where we're from. Mm. So it's all getting a bit serious. And um, I, mean, I was talking to the guys outside, and the, uh, I don't know, my view, in my view, the, I think they all, the, the, there's a hope that the the beer will be quite successful, and I think that'll be quite difficult to sure. achieve. You know, well, that's a good thing, like. I suppose. That's a nice reason to have to bow, not because it's failed, but because it's clearly... I mean, that, that's success. a lie. There are obviously creative dis differences. I was kicking off every week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would expect nothing less from you. Uh, Tom, uh, thank you very much for that insight into brewing life. No worries. <laughs> bonus, bonus points for uh, extra content. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, it does feel like we've seen a fair bit of regulatory action this year. 
We've had SMCR most recently, mm. various probes and inquiries, questions over Neil Woodford, and of course the DB transfer stuff. Uh, but I want to know, has 2019 been the year of regulation, or is there another story from this sphere that you think is more important, maybe? I mean, there's always things that are more important than regulation. There's been loads of regulation this year. There was loads of regulation the year before. There'll be loads of regulation next year. You know, we've got investment pathways coming and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, regulation feels like you, you, you always feel like it's been an unprecedented, it's unprecedented year for the FCA intervening in various things. But actually, yes. I don't think it's hugely different to what we've seen previously. Um, for me, the the big story of um, 2019, and I know we said we were going to keep it away from politics so i'm only going to touch a little bit on politics but it's not really about politics. sure sure sure. so it was the 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 labor manifesto and not and not so much in the the policies but what i think that might do to the conversation going Mm. forward so um, in in the fact that the labor 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 manifesto proposed freezing the state pension age Mm. at 66 now whether you agree with that or disagree with that uh, i think it will mean that people now have to start talking about life expectancy and Mm. the various different fairnesses or unfairnesses of state pension policy Mm. and things like that. So we had Labour promising to freeze the state pension age. We've got a state pension age going up. We've also had some stats out today showing just how wide the variation is in life expectancies in different parts of the country. So a man born in Blackpool today Mm. will live roughly 10 years less than the same man born in Westminster. Mm. And so you've got serious challenges to policymakers there in deciding it's always this battle with especially state pension policy in determining mm. determining whether uh, how much you go for fairness and how much you go for simplicity and i think the uk has swung towards simplicity but i suspect with labor where they are at the moment regardless of what happens in the election um we're going to move to a conversation where people have to talk a little bit more about mm. life expectancy and not just in terms of fairness but also in terms of the the fact that we've seen very, very we've seen life expectancy on average has been improvements in life expectancy have been stalling and there's parts of the UK where it's dropping yeah. and that's massive yeah. so you know regulatory stuff is obviously big for the sector but in terms of what's happening socially and what's happening to our, our country the fact that there that people in I think men and women in Scotland in the la- between 2013 2015 and 2016 2018 are living less long than they were before is huge yeah and that's something that i think has been started to be talked about in a slightly i'd argue a slightly cack-handed way by labor but it's something we're starting to talk about and i think hopefully we will now properly address next year Mm. when we're not dealing with all the other boring things like brexit i think that's a very good point i'd like to bring laura in on this question because i feel as though uh you know with the single tier state pension system uh introduced by sir steve webb that was supposed to be this new settlement it was supposed to be this new deal for the state pension and it feels to me very much as though the logic behind that has unraveled quite quickly in the when four or five years since it was kind of proposed and then implement implemented yeah i think i think well i think the, the, i guess the logic remains because there was an issue there was a specific issue with the state pension in that if you have means testing mm. and you have auto enrollment at the same time yeah then the two things don't work together because people will be disin- disincentivized from from saving in a in a private private pension but i think there's certainly a reasonable argument to well there's a reasonable debate i think to be had about whether 
we've gone too far in the direction of simplicity and in the, in the direction of ensuring yeah. auto enrolment works and not far enough. And I think across all sorts of areas of social policy, that's the, 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 the case has been that nobody's really thought about different regi- regions or mm. to a certain extent the impact on different people who are in different wealth cohorts, different income cohorts and stuff like that. And I think more and more now people are, it, it's, it's been realised that, realized that universality in providing any sort of benefits creates some quite difficult problems mm. um and I, th- I think it's probably we're probably about to have another debate about what how far fairness should go and how far simplicity should mm. go yeah laura you've covered the election a little bit with stories on all of this what is your sense of how pie in the sky the thinking is particularly when it comes to labor's stuff um i mean the, pe- the people i've talked to uh, the general consensus is that you can't just take one issue because the voice has been loud about it and, and change it for those people. Mm. I mean, there's been a lot of issues that, that if the voice was loud enough, maybe they'd get their way. Mm. That's what a few people have said to me. And um, I mean, because WASPy have, have been so active, they're, ki- they're kind of getting their way. And because um, because all the parties know that that's a big vote, a big pool of voters. Mm. Um, if they're targeting at them, then they might win those over. I think that's. I found it really, really interesting to see some of the media packages, uh, you know, in the local news, and to see like local BBC journalists knock on the door of voters and people saying that they were going to vote Labour because of the Waspy issue. Um, I'm not I mean, surprised. Yeah, you know, I thought, wow, you know, what a what a distance that campaign has has come. Yeah, um, it's forcing people to take notice. James, you've been sat there very quietly, very patiently. Patient. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for that. It's okay. Um, what story have you brought along with you that you think is significant for our industry, asset management, pensions, business, life insurance, advice, etc.? Well, the big one for me this year, and I really couldn't. I did flick through a few um, stories. You know, painfully and stoically, but the big one would have to be the um, the proposed ban on contingent charging by the regulator. The response from that, and being someone that's you know fairly new to financial services over the past nine months, the response has been huge. Yeah, and there's no middle ground in this in terms of responses. It's everyone's on either side of the fence. Um, and just speaking with you know industry peers, the regulator advisors. The furor over it has been huge. Tom, what's AJ Bell's stance on this? Remind our listeners. Uh, so our, as well. our, our view on the issue of DB transfers generally has been that um, the the regulator in in taking an assumption that a DB transfer isn't in a client's best interests mm-hmm. has gone too far. There are clearly processes in place when a you know a company does a valuation and actuaries involved and all the rest of it, which should mean that you come to a fair value and an advisor should be able to make a decision on whether or not a transfer is in a client's best interest based on their expertise and what they think about and all the rest of it. We've never we've never we've not taken we've never taken a view on specific charging structures. That's um that's clearly for um advisors to to decide. Um I think one of the interesting things around contingent charging generally and the ban on contingent charging is I think it's the one of the first examples I've seen of the regulator intervening in that way, in the way somebody charges without finding concrete evidence that that is specifically the reason. Now, I know there, there's some some evidence that kind of points in the direction, and clearly there's there are there is a mismatch potentially of incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was quite interesting to see a regulator 
coming kind of both barrels under quite a lot of pressure from the Work and Pensions Committee and say, even though we can't absolutely prove that this is the cause of the problem, and as James mentioned, there's a lot of debate, I think, among advisors as to whether or not contingent charging is the cause of the problem or whether it's just certain advisors doing the wrong thing that's the cause of the problem and will continue to do the wrong thing regardless. Um, but I think that was quite an interesting aspect of it, that the FCA felt the need to do that, perhaps based as much on the pressure that it was under as mm. on the, the evidence that was that was available. Mm. Okay. James, do you think that they are going to ban it? Yes. You think I think that's quite obvious it? at the moment, just hearing from feedback across the sector. Everyone's already <clears throat> you've resigned themselves to the fact that it will be banned. And um, as Tom just said too, the evidence is the big stickler. That was the the most vocal bit for advisors over the, well, since um, the news came out. Just, you know, where's the evidence? Yeah. And that's not forthcoming and I doubt it will be. Yeah. Or if it does, you know, at a very late stage. Yeah. And so. I've, I've, I've got some sympathy with the regulator on that because it's one of those things where you, you are never going to find perfect evidence mm. to say this is a bad thing or this is a good thing i, I guess it's it's it, it, it's interesting that the the mismatch in incentives has always existed and that's essentially in that whole big paper that that was what you came down to that there was a mismatch in, in incentives some bad things have happened and the regulator wants to make sure that it's i guess doing everything possible to stop those bad things happening but whether whether or not the ban and contingent charging makes a difference and, and i agree i can't it given that the regulator proposed banning contingent charging having not found a smoking gun. I can't, it, you, I've not seen anyone produce sufficient evidence to make it change its mind. Somebody would have had to found something that says this is completely wrong and loads and loads of people mm-hmm. are going to lose out. Now, I think there is a risk that people who, um, I mean, it's already happening, that, pe- that you know, people for whom getting advice and transferring would be in the right interests are simply unable to do it. Um, but it's clearly for the regulator to decide whether that whether that risk is more or less than the risk of people transferring and making the wrong decision. Yeah, sure. Um, Laura, what story have you brought with you uh, that you think is important from 2019? So I'm going to stay on pensions. Um, I'm re- well. A big story for me that I've kind of been following on Twitter is the NHS tapered annual allowance debate. Yeah. Uh, big one. Kind of at first, I think it was qu- it was quite low key, and then it grew. Definitely. Um, but I mean it's a big issue and I'm no expert so I was kind of looking at it as as, um, doctors are paying to go to work that doesn't make any sense and then I started talking to actual experts and you know I found out that is what's happening and Mm. I know it's not that simple but it's when the NHS already got so much pressure on it it seems something like pensions it's like really why is that another issue and I talked to um, Mark Cheatham the guy that actually set up the petition about it and you know he's a doctor in it and he's seen it firsthand, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a really... I remember the policy taper being announced in the budget speech, and it felt at the time like one of those, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Moments like, wow. <laughs> you know, that's needlessly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really... It's one of the big stories of bad policymaking, um, I think, of the last few years, certainly. Um, one thing that I think really... Uh, kicked the debate forwards was um, something that uh, the IFA firm Barnaby Cecil said in the podcast they did with Will, uh, our illustrious editor, uh, a couple of months ago, which I think was a really good practical point that the government needs to consider, which is that you've got this group of people who traditionally overwork, they're tired, they're well paid for their trouble, granted, but they're now cutting down their hours, and that it's now very difficult to persuade them to increase them again. 
and I think that that is a kind of the human impact of bad policy making and I kind of think well who who can blame them really you know if you if if, if you decide to reorganize your life um you know take an extra day off work spend more time with your kids be there when they you know they go to bed then you know who can really argue with that it's gonna be it's a very difficult bit of toothpaste to stick back in the tube yeah I mean it's bonkers isn't it we've now reached the point in time where the pension tax system is so complicated that it is literally increasing the chances of people dying because senior doctors and consultants are refusing shifts I mean that is nuts and ridiculous this is a I, I understand that you know, some people have difficulty with the idea of scrapping the table because you're essentially you're moving from a position where higher earners get a bit less let t- less tax relief to getting more tax relief, and certainly you know, for labour the optics of that yeah. are difficult. But the taper has only existed for a few years. There are different levers that you can pull if you want to make sure that you get tax from high income people or wealthy people or all or the rest of it. The taper I think raises about a billion pounds a year or something like that, which in the context of government spending is chicken feed. Yeah. It just seems insane that we're in this position where, and it was, as you mentioned, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a slow motion car crash. I mean, ev- everybody, it's, it's to, to anybody with, you know, who's watching this sector, you can see that there's high earning people in certain sectors who are taking on extra shifts. It doesn't take a huge amount of understanding or application to realise that that's going to cause some serious problems down the line, but... Yeah, there doesn't see. I guess with certain, it just shows in certain areas of Whitehall there just isn't that engagement with the practical implications of the policy mm. that you're implementing, and all the, all the the only thought in certain parts of government is to to get the money in. I thought it was astonishing. We had this uh, uh, letter from Matt Hancock, the health secretary, mm. to Simon Stevens, chief executive of the NHS, who's not who's not, I should say, been a stranger in the last few years controversy regarding. You know his views on NHS uh, staffing, capability, funding, etc. Uh, Matt Hancock advising him that certain solutions to this problem could constitute tax avoidance, and that the NHS should consider very carefully what it wants to do. And I actually thought that was an astonishing intervention because it, it wasn't. It was a non-intervention. I mean, it was essentially Matt, Matt Hancock on the tennis court batting the ball back towards the NHS. I mean, that's not a government <laughs> yeah. intervention. And Laura, the lay well, the Tories have said. 35 days they're going to tr- fix it? Yes. Is if that possible in, in 35 days? Uh, no, give them, we'll give it um, like over the last few well, months. Well, are you calling them liars? Because I can't <laughs> even. Watch out. God, what? No. I just, for, for, I mean, it's taken sort of months just to, they've been sort of sticking plasters over it with various different yeah. um, solutions, if you will, sort of changing how people can accrue their pensions over the year. And if they haven't found a, a, a solution now, I don't see how they're going to find one at the start of next year. I mean, why then? Why not now? Even the Citywide sub-editors found this issue so baffling that they pulled out a meme of a man sticking a piece of gaffer tape on a leaking trough <laughs> and, and stuck it on a proof of the magazine page <laughs> describing the problem. I mean, they're not interested in pensions policy at all. It doesn't take a pensions expert to see that it's bonkers. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, thank you all for that. I thought we'd move on to the news more widely. We'd go. We'd finish off the podcast of 2019 by looking at a favourite story, maybe from the news more widely. Who would like to go first? James. This is something a bit more casual. (laughs) 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 Relax. Well, as much as I like talking about DB transfers, yeah, yeah. (laughs) really gets me going. Um, Well, Tom would like this one. Okay. Um, Cricket related, and it wouldn't be a James story without it. (laughs) 
Um, so during the Ashes, yeah. which I may say Australia retained, um, <laughs> just put that in there, an um, Australian cricket journalist um, during the Manchester Test uh, decided to go to a pub after the, I think it was day three. Anyway, long story short, he uh, went to the bar, um, ordered a, um, a pint, um, anyway, after he tapped his card... I know um, this story. Yes, yeah, so it was actually quite widely reported yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, um, the, uh, the woman behind the bar, after he tapped the card... Oh, sorry, put his card in, um, giggled and then walked off. And he was like, oh, that's a bit odd. Anyway, drank his pint. Um, IPA, I believe. <laughs> and anyway, he went back to his hotel, had a few more drinks and then uh, got a phone call from his um, wife back in Australia a few hours later in a mad panic that uh, £55,000 had been taken out of his account, um, including £2,500 uh, transaction fee. Um, <coughs> apparently, the, um, the bartender, instead of £5.50, put in uh, fifty-five grand. And wow. just left yeah. And he had the money. <laughs> he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's Some, the thing. Well, that was the most impressive bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I would have had, yeah, I would have lost it. But his, um, his <laughs> quote is, is quite good. Um, he goes, oh, the pint was good. But not fifty-five grand good. <laughs> so My mum did that to to someone once in mm. a gift shop where she used to work. She charged someone twenty grand for something. Oof. Thankfully, it didn't go through. Yes, yeah, <laughs> she's hopeless. Laura, uh, what story did you bring with you that you think is significant, fun? Well, or this is it's it's not funny. This story isn't as funny as that one. Oh, serious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, but um, it's one that Natasha, editor of Diversity, actually flagged um, about Newsweek. I don't know if you remember mm. seeing yep. it. But it was a story about uh, Newsweek, the news organisation. And I thought, for f- first of all, that's funny because it was a, a news organisation talking about another n- news organisation and the culture. Um, and it was kind of just talking about the ridiculous pressures and expectations on the journalists there. Um, and I, I noticed it again the other day because Newsweek actually disputed all of the claims. Um, so it looked like. But what they had actually disputed was maybe two things. The majority of the story was still... They hadn't, no, they hadn't been able to dispute it. But anyway, it was... Um, sort of journalists being told they need to write at least four stories a day with so many criterion in them that were just impossible to meet. Mm. And I just thought, you know, it's, it's just a classic case of, you know, you've got to realise humans are humans. Yeah. And especially with something like the news, I feel like people don't really think of the person behind the news, you know, you yeah. churning Indeed. things out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at uh, all these my features editor here. <laughs> yeah, subtle, subtle hints. But um, yeah, I mean, four stories a day. I mean, I, I don't think I could do four stories a day, but with these expectations of it's got to be original news, it's got to have mm. all of these things. Mm. Tom, you were news editor once. Uh, I was in <laughs> former, in former um, life yeah. that we admire. Yes, sure. Um, <laughs> um, did you? Did you? Were you? Uh, did you rule with an iron fist? No, I don't think so. I was quite, quite a nice boss. Yeah. But I don't know, nobody, ever, nobody's ever told me that. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just making out. I mean, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was. Um, I, I, I found that certainly when I was leaving, I was quite happy to leave because um, there was. As you say, the pressure. Certainly, at the point at the point of time I was at the publication I was at, the pressures to deliver a certain number of news alerts a day. So, I mean, it was getting to the point where it was kind of four, four or five news alerts a day with four or five different stories mm. on them. And I, so I, I absolutely loved being a journalist, but mm. I didn't love moving up to being news editor quite. So there were bits of it that were really good, but there were bits of it that. I didn't enjoy and part of it was you just kind of I felt like I was kind of an administrator you're just kind of spinning all the plates and getting these news alerts out and having to hit these certain you know targets for number of page reads and all the rest of it and you because you end up administrating and to an extent managing people you stop doing the the journalism bit Mm. um 
which 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 got quite well. It wasn't sad for me, but I just, it just wasn't what I'd kind of signed up to yeah, at the start. So I decided to quit it all and become a pensions commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And on that note, what story have you brought? Well, you won't believe this, but I've I've got cricket as my fun story oh, for 2019 oh, really? as well. That's the podcast. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it was basically I just wanted any any excuse to talk about day four at Headingley because it was my favourite day of the year. But oh, I'm gonna you. I'm gonna <laughs> particularly the the Aussie at the end whose face was really red and he was yes, he was yes. in tears. I, it was, was it him. <laughs> that was me at home, yes. I <laughs> if you watch it, he looks a lot better now than he did then, let me tell <laughs> you. you. Um, it, I think it, I, I'm not going to talk about just that day, though, because I think it was cricket in general for me. And I know it's obviously not everybody's into sport and whatever, but it just it feels like it's been quite a miserable year for various different reasons. And actually, Agreed. for... Well, for English people, anyway, and certainly not if you're not if you're a New Zealander, perhaps. Perhaps but for English people, the the cricket's been a real kind of ray of light in the year. Mm. Even even with it, I think even with the Ashes, and even with the fact that the Aussies retained the Ashes, the fact that it was this brilliant battle, and it was just something that wasn't politics or Brexit yeah. or anything like that. And the Cricket World Cup was the same. The cricket, you know, the cricket World Cup was brilliant. Like had great weather, some amazing games, and it was just there were that gave us kind of between the World Cup and the the Ashes, you had sort of a couple, two or three months of real escapism from the chaos that's going on around us, be it Brexit or Trump's latest idiotic tweet or just Syria. It just doesn't feel like there's been many nice things to focus on. And and personally, in 2019, cricket was just class. Mm. Laura, are you going to miss sitting next to Jack Gilbert and (laughs) and across from James as they describe the cricket situation. Am, am I moving seats? That was not, uh, not what I was trying to imply. I wouldn't have the power to do that anyway, uh, even if I did want to, which I don't. Uh, are you going to miss the cricket chat? Um, I don't, some, the thing is, I don't really even know what is the cricket chat. I just uh, hear grunts and like slams. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Jack, what's wrong? And he's like, oh. <laughs> quite grumpy, Waves yeah. his hand. Doesn't seem so happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I won't miss. I won't miss that. The the fluctuating moods yeah, yeah. that it brings. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> storming off to the uh, storming out the door. Yeah, but I will agree with you, Tom. As I called it, um, the summer of the summer of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I loved it. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you had a nice time. <laughs> at least, uh, thank you for that. Um, before we go, I thought I'd throw in my own little story that I pulled out yesterday because it did pick my imagination again. Uh, do you remember a scandal last year involving the German magazine Der Spiegel? This is a fascinating story about fake news. So for those that don't know, Der Spiegel is quite famous in Germany and the world for its investigative work. Uh, And it had an investigative reporter called Klaas Reloitius, who had won awards for his reporting on loads of different things. But it turned out last year that some of his work quite a lot of his work was actually fabricated and that he was a liar. Uh, and it all came to the light, uh, into light last year after Reloitius was sent to cover the Mexican migrant scandal uh, in the US. And his colleague, a fellow reporter who'd been there much longer, a guy called Juan Marino, followed his suspicions and exposed uh, Reloitius's lies uh, by going with, the, uh, with him to the US. Specifically, uh, he, um, he basically went and spoke to all the people that Reloitius claimed to have spoken to uh, who denied that he'd ever 
been in touch with them. Um, and this led other people to speak out, uh, including a lady called Michelle Anderson, whose blog I would encourage you to read. Uh, she described how Reloitus had lied about her town, uh, Fergus Falls in Minnesota, and painted it as this Trump-loving uh, wasteland. Uh, in, in, in particular, detail where uh, he had said that there was a sign saying Mexicans go home, and no such sign had, uh, had actually existed. So before long, the mask had slipped, and Reloitus was admitting all kinds of misdemeanors, and he's handed back his awards. Uh, but it doesn't end there, because Marino, the colleague who uncovered the deception, has now written a book. Uh, it's called Thousand Silent Luger, A Thousand <laughs> Lines of Lies. Nice. Practice that. Uh, and it describes his determination from a personal perspective uh, to bring the guy down. Uh, there were actually reports that Reuters wanted to sue him over it, but that hasn't happened. So it was clearly a bluff. <laughs> uh, so I, and I just think that's a, an amazing story of fake news and, and kind of big reporting gone wrong yeah. in a it's in amazing a amazing that he won he won awards i mean he must have had some talent even if yeah. his lies his, his stories were utter rubbish it made me immediately doubt my win at the personal <laughs> finance society <laughs> was, it, was, it, was this whole thing away you i was going to say that was nice as all well. <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. i was wondering when that would come no in. it was not <laughs> i swear on my life um before we go there's just time to ask my guests what they want for christmas laura what would you like for christmas More money. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I thought about it. I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. James, what would you like for Christmas? Oh. Tickets home? New cricket mat? They are quite expensive. Um, <laughs> peace and love across the world. Oh. That's what made me look bad. Right. Yeah, well, that was the idea. That makes, that makes you look he doesn't mean now. it. God. Disgusting. Uh, Tom, what would you like for All Christmas? Right, I'll, I'll, I'll split the two and I'll go for... Uh, away tickets for Blackburn at Nottingham Forest. That's more New like Year's it. <laughs> Which I know I'm already getting. Being from Derby, I'm delighted, <laughs> not Forest losing. That's great. Excellent. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Uh, it's been great having you here. And thanks, Tom, in particular, for making the distance on your donkey to join us in the podcast stable. <laughs> I hope we have shepherded you well. Uh, that's all that we've got time for today and indeed this year. So from everyone in the studio, the team at New Model Advisor, and indeed is all here at Citywide generally, We'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. See you in 2020 for more news, views and reviews on the Planning People podcast. Thanks and goodbye.